0: Hi, reader. I'm Cindy Burnett. Welcome to my award winning podcast, Thoughts from a Page, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. On the show, I chat with authors whose books I have enjoyed about their new releases, and I give you a peek behind the curtain of the publishing industry with my behind the scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. If you're looking for a community of readers, bonus content, and a chance to read books before they hit the shelves, I hope you'll consider joining my Patreon group, which is filled with a wonderful bunch of book lovers. The link to join is in the show notes. Do you love to be in the know about upcoming books? Kelly Hooker of at Kelly Hook Reads Books and I do too. We couldn't find a comprehensive list of titles all in one place, so we made one ourselves and now we're sharing it with you. Our literary lookbook is a list of 182 books releasing from January to May, 2024, curated for our communities. The link to buy it is in my show notes. Today's behind-the-scenes interview is with Adam Vitkavich, the founder of Day Beautiful, a website and podcast where readers can discover debut authors. Adam's criticism and interviews have been featured in Electric Literature, Pace Magazine, The Millions, and other places. He lives in Denver, where he was previously the director of events at Tattered Covered Bookstore. I loved my conversation with Adam and thoroughly enjoy his podcast. I hope you will check out Day Beautiful. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Adam. How are you today?
1: I'm doing fabulous, Cindy. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It means a lot to me.
0: Well, I'm so glad you're here. I love this behind-the-scenes series because it lets me explore different things in the book world. I always enjoy author interviews, but it's so much fun to learn more about what other people are doing. And you and I briefly met at Falcon for Mountains and Plains, I think, in the fall, and I got to hear you speak a little bit about your podcast, and I got so interested, and so now I've been listening.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, Falcon was a fun time. Uh, I used to be a bookseller, so it was good to be there as someone else, just a guy with a podcast.
0: Exactly. Well, let's talk about De Beautiful. how you got started, why you decided to focus on debuts. Just tell me the whole story.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, um, since 2011, have written freelance for various pop culture outlets I, I started at Paste Magazine, which is based out of Atlanta, writing about music and television. And then slowly but surely, my interest in media changed. And I started in 2015 writing freelance for outlets like Electric Lit, The Millions. I did a few interviews for Literary Hub. And I became really interested in telling the story of people who tell stories. And I did that From 2015 to 2019, just freelance. And at some point in 2018, I was thinking about if I could launch, you know, my own blog, my own website. And Day Beautiful was born when I was working at the state government of Arizona in a gray cubicle. And I was just doodling down ideas and I knew I want to focus on debut authors because I feel at the time debuts weren't getting as much coverage as they are now. And then Day Beautiful was born in like December and I launched it in January without much thought as a website, as a literary outlet where I can do book reviews and uh, interviews. And then a year later, someone, a few publicists told me, you should have a podcast. They're hotter now. And I said, I don't know how to do that, but I will launch one. And again, not much thought was put into it, meaning I just went for it without a lot of planning. Um, I I care a lot about Day Beautiful and, and everything I do, but it was all, you should do this. Let's do this. And it all happened super fast.
0: And then you realized how much work a podcast is.
1: Mm hmm. So I record on Zoom, which I know other podcasters use, like Zencaster or other behind-the-scenes podcasting apps. I used I use Zoom because I like it to be as unprofessional as possible. We're just two people chatting, like in a coffee shop. But when I started, Zoom wasn't even a thing. The pandemic hadn't happened. Like Zoom was there, but like I, there was like no way to easily record. I feel especially for a person who had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> But yeah, podcasting is hard. So I I thank you, Sydney, for doing what you do and all the other podcasts out there that I do listen to because it's not just click record and play or click play and record. Uh, It's difficult.
0: It is. And it's more time consuming than I expected it to be. I'm a pretty type A personality. So when I decided to launch the podcast, I did do a lot of research and realized, gosh, there's so much more involved stepwise. You know, like you said, you can't just hit record and start chatting. There's many components to it. But even then, I just didn't understand how much time it is. But I love it. And it is a labor of love for me. And I enjoy it. But I always tell people when they're talking about starting one, just realize there's a lot more involved than you realize up front.
1: Yes, so much. And especially with book podcasts, it's a lot of reading, right? It's it's reading the book. And then I don't know about you, but then I go back the week of or the day of and I read a random 15 pages in the book just to refamiliarize myself with it. So it's just a lot of that of reading a book takes hours. <laughs> so
0: that's an interesting way to do it. I always go back and pick the book back up and flip through it, but reading a random 15 or 20 pages is a good idea too, because it just puts you right into the story.
1: Yeah. And a lot of what Day Beautiful is is not about plot. I don't think I talk about plot at all with authors or decisions. I talk about the process and a lot of like who the author is and what drives them. So that 15, maybe 10 pages, I can't say it's always 15, uh, is to just re-familiarize myself with the vibe and how I felt and trying to figure out how they felt writing it, as opposed to like the plot or the actual writing.
0: Makes sense. I kind of focus on all of it, but I know from listening to yours, you really do focus on why they decided to write the story and different anecdotes related to that and then their process of writing.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: So you led me right into my next question, which was, how do you decide who you're going to interview?
1: Sure. That is a million dollar question. So the first thing is the the books, the the, the episodes come out the week of book publication. So I am focusing on that week. So I don't do a lot of back catalog or anything like that. So it really narrows my focus on who's going to be this guest this week. Is there a book coming out that week? And it's just who, what book I liked best that week or which one I feel I could have a fun conversation with. Uh, not necessarily best conversation or best book, but most, most fun hang I had. My 2024 debut list is awesome at this point in time i'm looking at it right now as we talk is over 150 titles that have been pitched to me or that are on my radar some other way and i am booked through it's we're recording this in january i know the podcast will come out a little later but i'm i usually book 4 months at a time and i have a a sense of what titles that are exciting me so i ramble to say whatever one makes me feel like i'll have a fun time
0: so you're usually reading pretty far ahead.
1: Yeah, I'm currently reading like uh, May, June, July books right now.
0: That's how I am. Mine is a little less organized than yours, but I'm the same way. Whatever books appeal to me for that pub week are the ones that I select. Now, every once in a while, there'll be three or four books coming out on the same date yeah. that I love, and I'm not limited to debuts. So I will spread them into the next week if there isn't something coming out that week. But yes, I just try to read ahead. The books that really speak to me, I say, okay, yeah.
1: And I just bring that up because I feel a lot of, I try not to answer DMs like on social media anymore with pitches just because it's too overwhelming. But I just want, if, if you know, debut authors are listening to this, Day Beautiful is tied to like publication cycles. Uh, I, uh, so if your book came out in 2023, I probably just don't have the time to read it anymore, unfortunately, unless I do it during my vacation when I take time off from Day Beautiful coverage, which is twice a year. In like late June and then the the second half of December, I don't read debuts. But yeah.
0: No, I get that because I'm the same way. Mine is tied to new releases. And so sometimes people pitch me a book from like 2020 and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, but I'm really looking forward. So I totally get that. And it makes sense to explain it. Yeah. And you have two type of episodes. You have the standard episodes and then you have the first taste reading series. Do you want to talk a little bit about both and the difference?
1: When the podcast version of Day Beautiful started, it was one interview a month. It was the the book I loved most that month. And it would come out during publication week. It didn't matter if it was the beginning of the month, the end of the month. It was just my favorite book of the month. And now it's slowly formed into two or three episodes that are interviews, long form interviews that are 20 to 40 minutes that are just a good hang of us rambling and no real direction. And those I love. But then I started thinking, what if I can cover more debuts without having to talk so much? And then I started the first taste reading series, which ended up having a lot of talking. But the premise is, it is a five-ish minute reading of the author. So readers can get a first taste of what that debut book is all about. And this year, I'm not doing any questions. It's, hello, what are you reading? Read it. And then you're out. So they're 10-minute episodes every Monday to kind of whet the appetite of of readers. I love both versions. And one is easier for me than the other because I don't have to talk.
0: I get that. And you let the author choose the passage they want to read. At least it sounds like you do based on the ones I've listened to.
1: Yeah, I let them... I don't want to know what it is prior. I want to feel like I'm in the audience and them reading a private reading to me. You know, podcasts obviously work months in advance. So some days I'll hear like seven authors read to me and I'll just bank those and uh, release them as they come out. But the interviews, I really love too, because I mean, listeners, if you get a sense of me, I, I feel like I'm Michael Scott where I start a sentence that I have no clue where I'm going half the time. And... my interviews are like that. They're just like, let's hang out. I don't know what is going to happen, but I'm going to have a fun time with you. And those are always good hangs with uh, debut authors.
0: Well, and I think it's interesting because you can ask a question and expect one answer, but sometimes it'll go in a totally different direction. And you finish the interview and you're like, we talked about so many things I never dreamt we would.
1: Yeah. My prep is a lot of words, just like, like not, not even a sentence, just, you know, it'll, if Like if a character does something crazy, I'll just be like, crazy uh, thing in chapter four. And that'll come up or maybe it doesn't. And then I'll never know about that crazy incident in chapter four.
0: You're like, I didn't get to learn about the crazy incident in chapter four. Yeah. Does it surprise you sometimes the passages that they choose to read?
1: No, mostly because I I I ran events for a bookstore for two years and I get a general sense of you want to read something that's self-contained, but also is a hook to the rest of the book. And usually that's in like the beginning parts of the book, 20, page 25, page 50. Uh, what does surprise me is when someone reads from the last chapter, I don't believe in spoilers. I think you can know, you know, the hobbits throw the ring into the fire and Lord of the Rings. Like that's okay to know that ending. That doesn't ruin the story. But I know some listeners get really stressed out about spoilers. So when I think a writer says, I'm going to read from the last chapter, and it explains everything that happened, I'm like, that is a wild choice, but I really appreciate it because I don't believe in spoilers.
0: That's so interesting that you don't believe in spoilers. So you don't think it matters, even in a thriller, if somebody talks about the ending before people have had time to read it?
1: I think if knowing the ending ruins a story, the story was written or filmed poorly.
0: This is fascinating. Okay. Well, yeah. I always worry about spoilers because I don't want to know the ending. So that is really interesting
1: to me. Yeah, like I think Breaking Bad, I'm using TV shows as examples, so like your reader listeners don't get spoiled on books. But Breaking Bad, knowing that he gets caught at the end, makes it a good story. And then it's like, how how is he going to get into that situation? But if a spoiler ruins a story, then it's not rereadable, It's not rewatchable. So... You basically wrote a spoiler, and the rest, the two hundred pages prior to that, were useless.
0: That makes me think of the Sixth Sense for some reason, because I do think it has a great ending. But you can definitely rewatch it because you want to see everything that's building up to that moment.
1: Yeah, and and like I'm not, I don't want to be harsh on like twist endings. They're great, but if the twist ending ruins the experience that led up to it, what was the point of the twist ending? You know, I don't know.
0: Oh no, I love that. I always enjoy hearing people. With different ideas than I've been thinking about, because it makes me go in a different direction the next time I'm reading a book.
1: Yeah, and and a lot of it, I think a lot of it is because I read books that are quote unquote plotless. It's more about the character and the hang and and the destination, and there is no real plot. So I don't think about spoilers in a way. Like it doesn't matter if you know this guy breaks up with his girlfriend or boyfriend halfway through the book. That's like that's the story. You know, to me, it's not like a plot point. It is the story.
0: That's a great point, because I did notice that when I was going through your debuts, that you don't do many mystery thrillers.
1: No, a lot of it's literary fiction or creative nonfiction or or memoirs or essays. Yeah. Not a lot of mystery thriller or sci-fi, which are things I do read, but I don't connect with them on a personal level as much as other people do. And, you know, part of it, podcast i'm sure like you want to like we already said we want to talk to who interests us the most absolutely you want to focus on those those
0: books or those people that are interesting to you because that makes a much better interview
1: yeah uh, i want to feel a lot like like we could be friends after not that we have to be friends but like the people i'm talking it's like a first date a lot of times it's like tell me about your schooling how did that go exactly and you said you worked at a bookstore where did you work uh so i mean i've worked in bookstores my entire life almost. I was a Barnes & Noble person in high school and college. And then I worked at Changing Hands in Phoenix while I was working at the government. And they were really influential um, in when Day Beautiful was starting. I worked there one or two days a week, but they were really influential in, oh, let me make sure you're connected with this publicist. And let me make sure we reshare your interview. And it was super good. Uh, Their owner is one of their owners is named Sydney. Their book buyer at the time, Michelle, was really influential, and one of their still workers, Emmy, like the three of them were really helpful in getting debutful off the ground and just supporting it. But then I worked at Tattered Cover bookstore for two years, twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two, running their events, which it was like right after the pandemic, so. Book events were half Zoom, half in person. People weren't attending because uh, there was a COVID spike. It was a stressful time, but it was a fun time. I learned a lot. And that was when I got to connect with a lot of non-debut authors, right? Because, you know, more than debut authors go on book tour.
0: Right. And often the debut authors don't go on as large a tour since they are debuts. Yeah.
1: yeah. If, if Basically, if you're not going to throw a birthday party in that city, you as a debut author probably won't be going there, being sent there by your publisher.
0: I worked at Murder by the Book here in Houston for a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just love working at bookstores. That's the only one I've worked at, but it was just such a delightful job. And the author interviews and author events were always my very favorite part.
1: Yeah. I think... I know like not every bookstore can do events because you know they're a small space and they're focused just on sales and maybe community events. But the bookstores that can do events, you know, the bigger ones, the ones that have more space, I mean, not bigger status or anything, but those are the lifeblood for bookstores. I think it's one thing to walk into a bookstore and and see books on shelves, but to be able to connect with the person who wrote it is so vital and such a magical moment. Seeing people Come in and and ask questions to an author. That is the most exciting thing to me in the world. I love live events; they're so fabulous.
0: They are, and I always learned so many things that I didn't know from other people's questions.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, especially because I feel like as you know, you interview authors. There's some questions that you may think it's like, oh, that seems like a silly question to ask because it's like quote unquote basic or like so obvious. But really, that's what readers want to know. They want to know those like. They're not like obvious questions that you think like if everyone wants to ask it, it's a good question. That's kind of where I'm getting like, how did you come up with this idea is super basic, but everyone wants to know that question. So it's a great question to ask.
0: And the answers are always so interesting Mm because I ask that question a lot just because I'm fascinated after I've read a book that I'm like, this is really out there or this is so creative or this is very different than anything else I've read. I am dying to know how they came up with the idea.
1: Exactly. I used to not try like to think of clever questions, I guess, at, when I first started writing freelance to uh, over 10 years ago, but I was like, yeah, clever questions are fun and they're great and they they are different, but you do have to ask those questions everyone wants to know, you know.
0: Yes, because the answers are interesting and everybody does want to know.
1: Yeah, the answers are always interesting. Because you you think like, "Oh, I'm sure you thought of this book because X, Y, or Z. And they're like, nope, that was that just happens to be what everyone assumes. And it's actually really different.
0: And every answer is different. And that's what I love too. Like some people start with a scene that just came to them or some mm-hmm. people encountered something and they're basing the story on that. Or there's a million different reasons, kind of like writing processes. There are so many different writing processes. And those are the two things that I, I think I have learned the most from doing the podcast is how many different answers I get. And I love that.
1: Yeah, it it blows my mind, especially with the Beautiful. A lot of is, how, how did you get into writing? And there's the traditional, I went the MFA route. I knew I wanted to be a writer. I went to Iowa or I went to Columbia and learned how to be a better writer. And now I'm a writer. But then there's a lot of debut authors who are, I worked in corporate America for 15 years. I had my family and now I'm going to take a shot at it. And there is no path to publishing that makes sense because publishing is an enigma and a game. But if you try hard and you work hard at your craft, you can publish. And that's what blows my mind about this industry.
0: I agree. Every path is different. And the people that always shock me so much are the ones that are in corporate America and they've gotten up at 4 a.m. <laughs> and written for two hours every day because I'm like, I don't know that I could have two jobs, essentially, doing yeah. trying to get this book written, but also doing my regular job if you have kids or you're married or other outside commitments, whatever it is. I, it takes dedication.
1: Yeah. it It is just wild to me that people can produce a book.
0: I agree. <laughs> In the base case, I'm not a writer and people always ask me, are you writing a book? And I'm like, no, but it is amazing that people can.
1: Yeah, same. Completely agree.
0: So you've always liked to read, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, I was a big reader as a kid. My mom is uh, the biggest reader I know, and she got me hooked on like Mary Higgins Clark as a kid, way too young. I, I don't think she got me hooked on it, but she had all the books, so I started reading Mary Higgins Clark and like Chronicles of Narnia, Anne Morse, Babysitters Club, Goosebumps. They were all huge in my my youth, and then I eventually went to school to be a high school English teacher, which I was really bad at, and then. I didn't read at all, actually. I hated reading during that time because I hated like the idea of reading to like teach as opposed to reading for pleasure. How long did you teach for? Two years only. Just, uh, yeah. And I think I let my teaching license lapse and I was out of there. I think that would be such an incredibly hard job. Yeah, yeah. And it was actually after I left that I became more involved in like the literary community because I was reading for pleasure again. 2015, I read 55 books and it was the most I had read. Combined in five years, maybe in four years.
0: Wow. Well, it is hard when you're being dictated what you need to read. I mean, I think that is difficult. And I definitely don't like that. I want to be able to pick up what I want to read when I want to read
1: it. Yeah, definitely. We've
0: talked a lot about this, but what makes a book good for you? What are you looking for when you're reading?
1: Yeah, I have been saying, and I think I said it on this pod already, is all about the vibe. How does it make me feel? And then I'll unpack that. I read a lot of quote-unquote literary fiction, whatever that means. I think it's a BS term. You know, it's just, you know, genre means nothing to me anymore. But what I really like are stories about families, stories about siblings. I lived with my sister in my mid-20s. She's older than me. And that dynamic of adult siblings fascinates me. Um, Stories about small towns and unpacking secrets. Those are like plots that excite me, I guess. But what needs to make elevate them for me is, do I want to hang out in this world? Do I see myself getting in fights with the main character, loving the main character, throwing a drink in the face of the main character? Like I want to know, do do they make me feel alive? And most of the books I interview, it's because the main character a secondary character or a character on one page made me feel something. And that's what I really look for when I read.
0: And do you read mainly physical books or ebooks or does it just vary depending on the copy that you can get a hold of?
1: Yeah, I read m- mostly physical or PDF. I refuse to use NetGalley or any like e-reader, uh mostly because I don't know how to use them. <laughs> and I rather just have a PDF because then if I want to print out like 15 pages, I can easily print that out. And I do listen to audiobooks. I mean, I don't get a lot of advanced audiobooks because they're usually not done until publication week. But I do, I just want to say, I do think listening to audiobooks counts as reading. I know some people don't think that. But yeah, physical is my preferred method because I take notes or I I like need to read when I'm at a red light or something. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, physical is is king for me still.
0: Well, I didn't ask about audiobooks because I know they don't come out very quickly. And so I figured that for what you were doing most of the time, you didn't have an audiobook. Now there are some programs where they're coming out a couple months ahead. And I agree completely on this whole debate. I don't even understand it. If it's the same thing as what you're reading, but you're listening to it instead, how could it not be reading?
1: Yeah, no. And I didn't mean to imply you didn't feel that way. I just know some people out there on the internet feel that way. So whenever I can talk about audiobooks, I want them to know listening (laughs) to audiobooks counts as reading and everyone needs to get off their ableist high horse.
0: Exactly. No, I didn't think you meant that. I just thought I'm going to leap in here too, because yet again, I saw this conversation playing out in a newsletter from a bookstore who said she had been encountering that some from people pushing back. And then also on Twitter recently, or X, whatever it's called now, that people were still debating that. I'm like, why are people still debating this? So I was just happy that you mentioned it. I was chiming in.
1: No, I love it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, physical is still my preferred method, but I know smaller publishers or indie authors can't afford to spend you know X amount of dollars to print the book or 3 to $10 to ship it to me. So if you can get me a PDF, I love PDFs. I've printed out PDFs in the past as well. It makes it yeah. a lot easier to read
0: than on my computer, I think.
1: Yeah, I just get... So I just turned 35 like less than a week ago as we're recording this. And like as I'm quote unquote getting older, my eyes cannot handle looking at a screen for too long. So uh, I do not like e-readers.
0: I get that. I, I read a little bit on my iPad through NetGalley at night after my husband's gone to bed just because then there's no light on in the room for him. But I much prefer physical books. And then I do audiobook, but I'm really not a great fiction audiobook listener. My mind just wanders too much. So I mainly do nonfiction if I do audiobooks.
1: Yeah, my audiobooks are usually if there's a fiction book that I just miss and I'm going on a a plane ride, but it's a lot of Star Wars fiction just because I don't need to think as like, I don't need to be engaged as much because I already know who these characters are and I, I don't miss the written word as much. Exactly.
0: And if you wander a little bit, if something else is happening, you don't feel like, oh my gosh, I've got to back it up every single time.
1: Yeah, yes, exactly. Because... A lot of what I care about is like how that sentence was structured. And sometimes my brain can't imagine how it was written if I just hear it. I'm really bad at, at uh, even like as a student, I'm bad at listening to things. I need to read it or see a photo of it or something. I'm
0: the same way. I always just say I'm a much more visual learner than an auditory learner.
1: Yes, I'm tactile. I need my hands on. Like you can explain how to use Zencaster. To me, but I would need to actually just go through the steps myself, and I would learn quicker trying and failing than you giving me a lecture on how to use it.
0: (laughs) Uh, Hopefully, I would not give you a lecture. (laughs) (laughs) You focus on fiction often, but I know it's not always fiction because I listened to your interview with Meg Kissinger while you were out, and I had also spoken to her, and that was a great interview. So, not necessarily always fiction, correct?
1: Yeah, not always fiction. Uh, Some uh, sometimes memoir or nonfiction. And I found, and maybe you feel this way, but maybe not, I found talking about nonfiction is harder for me, especially memoirs, because what I want to ask them is in the book. And then I feel like it takes away from the reading experience. So I guess going back to the whole idea of spoilers, I, I don't believe in plot spoilers, but I believe in experience spoilers. So I don't know. Maybe I'm all over the place. but. I want to know who, who, like with Meg, I want to know what shaped Meg and a lot of that was in the book. So my questions were slightly different than what I would ask her if she wrote a fiction book.
0: Well, that's a very valid point. I'm always enthralled with memoirs because they include other people and I am an incredibly private person. So -hmm. the idea that someone would write this memoir that would have me throughout it, even though I wasn't the focus of the book, is sort of alarming. And thankfully, I don't think I know anybody that would be writing a memoir that everybody would be reading. But I always am like, okay, so did you ask everybody? Were they okay with their portrayal? Like, those are the questions that fascinate me with memoirs.
1: Yeah, and those are what I usually ask is how did the crafting of the memoir come about as opposed to their life questions? I was just talking to an author who I interviewed for a memoir that they had written. And then we were, we were just like talking on social media And I said, yeah, sorry. Like my questions were like so bad. I don't know how to talk about memoirs or nonfiction. And then like the response was like, that's because no one knows how to talk about memoirs or nonfiction. It's like the hardest thing to do because it's a different beast than writing fiction.
0: Well, and I think it very much depends on the book too, because if it's about the Titanic, everybody knows the Titanic went down. So you're not going to be spoiling kind of like your conversation about Breaking Bad, you know, or, or yeah, photo. Yeah. I think there are some stories that everyone knows or it's already explained on the back of the book. Yeah. And I always find it funny with these true crime stories where the, the back says it's unsolved and, you know, it's still unsolved and they're writing about that. And then people complain that <sighs> there's no resolution. And I'm like, but that's what it says all over the book. That's why they're writing this book. And I don't yeah. know, it's just funny to see how people respond to things sometimes.
1: No, I agree. I think true crime is the perfect example of why spoilers don't matter. So you can go into a book thinking like, I know they're never going to solve this, or I know they caught the Golden State Killer or the Ted Bundy, right? But the journey is what matters. That's So it comes full circle. I'm back on my train of spoilers don't (laughs) matter.
0: I'm going to be really paying attention to that as I read now.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Coming up on 5-Minute News... Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Well, have you had a favorite interview or interviews?
1: Oh, man. So many. I think my most, oh, yeah, uh, one that stands out. I love Rachel Yoder, uh, Night Bitch. She was a fun conversation because. I think I, I was reading her book, which is about motherhood at the time, where like I was just like really reflective of my relationship with my mother. That was fun. Ruth Madievsky, who was Day Beautiful's Book of the Year last year, was super fun. By the time this podcast is out, I think all of January's interviews, so I'll just say who they are. Vanessa Chan was amazing. Uh, Inja Attrick, Celine Sinclair, and Christina Cook. Those are all my interviews for January. And all were, I laughed, I cried, um, I learned... And so the answer is no, I don't have a favorite interview, but yes, I do. They're all my favorite.
0: <laughs> well, you mentioned a book of the year. So you pick a particular book each year that was your favorite for the year?
1: Yeah, Day Beautiful puts out the best debuts of the year list. I I have the Day Beautiful dozen, which are the 12 books that I think will either withstand the test of time or that I think really captured the year or that... I recommended the most and I list them in the way that I think about like how often I think about them. And yeah, All Night Pharmacy by Ruth Madievsky was last year's 2023. It's like a sexy, sultry book about sisters and drugs and Los Angeles. It's kind of like a modern noir, Uh, super, yeah, super fun read. Kind of flew under the radar with some media outlets, but then was really high on others. It's it's really interesting, the book industry, how, like, how people connect with books because they're all different. Pe- all readers are different.
0: Absolutely. And when I was poring over your website, I saw somewhere that you mentioned your best of list is the books you've actually read and are recommending. And not all lists are like that, that some people think the list are just like the bestsellers or the books that were everywhere. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting because mine is the same way, like the books that I personally loved and recommended. Yeah. Which means that people that follow me know, okay, this is the type of stuff she likes. It's going to be in that vein. You're the same way. The type of yeah. books you like, they're going to be in that vein. So people kind of can follow people that read similarly and find the books they like versus, you know, you can see the bestsellers a million places.
1: Yeah, because I think I, I, I think that's important to, to know because like a few years ago, there's this book, Rabbit Hutch, which won the National Book Award. It was a debut I didn't get the chance to read it that year, and so it wasn't on my list. And I could have easily put it on my list and said, this is the National Book Award. It's the best debut. You know, it was not true to who I was, right? I, I just didn't get a chance to read it. It won a major award, but it wasn't a quote-unquote best debut book from Day Beautiful. So,
0: And I think that is an important distinction and also what makes you, you, and me, me. Yeah. Like, I am talking about the books that have resonated with me. Those are the ones that I'm promoting versus just the books that that might be everywhere or celebrity book picks or have won big awards, whatever it is, and you do the same.
1: Yes, and I think there was a, a on Twitter recently there was um it gained some traction where like book lists don't matter, and I agree as someone who writes lists, readers, it's a great place to jump off and start discovering, but at the end of the day, if you loved uh, the Adam book by Adam Fitcavage, but everyone else hated it. That's okay. You could love it. You don't have to agree with every single media outlet or reviewer or podcaster out there on the planet because we all have different tastes.
0: Exactly. There are so many books out there and we're just trying to promote the ones that we love, help them find some traction.
1: Exactly. I remember, yes, there are so many books out there that's that's key to life that not every, even like the New York Times or Washington Post, those editors, there's no way they read every book, right? So their list is skewed towards what they read. It's the reality. Or it's, yeah, it's skewed towards what they read.
0: Yes. Leave it there, right? <laughs> yes. I leave it there. <laughs> what has surprised you the most as you have continued growing?
1: I just talked to Tamine Frukter, who wrote City of Laughter, and she's a guest on uh, the first taste reading series in January. And she said, I have been following you for X amount of years, blah, blah, blah. So what Fascinates me is seeing these writers who didn't have a book deal, didn't publish yet, and they were discovering other debuts via Day Beautiful, and now they are a guest. It makes me realize it surprises me that one, I've had longevity, which I didn't think I would, and two, that strangers know that Day Beautiful exists, which fascinates me because I just think I'm just a guy with a website who bought a microphone and I am doing this for myself, really, and for the authors, but that strangers are out there listening just blows my mind.
0: Well, and that had to be so, I don't even know what the right word is for her to have listened to you for so long and then to actually be on your show.
1: Yeah. And that's what's special to me. I think I have a complicated relationship with like Bookstagram and podcasts and et cetera because I think not everyone, but a lot of people out there on the internet are doing it to gain fame for themselves in a way. And I like, I think I said at the beginning of this podcast, I don't care if people know the name Day Beautiful or Adam, but I care if they know the name of the books and authors I've interviewed. And I don't care if they remember they discovered that person on Day Beautiful, as long as they buy the book and connect with the author in their own way. So yeah, it's special to me when people do remember Day Beautiful, but I think it's way cooler if they're like, oh yeah, like I I heard somewhere that this book existed and I bought it. Like that's cool to me. I agree with that
0: completely. Do you ever DNF books?
1: Oh yeah. I don't, I'm not wasting my time. I read every book that's sent to me. I, my, people can send me books if they want. Everybody can do it. Uh, emails. If I get a PDF link or a physical copy, I read 20 pages of every book. And if it's not for me, It doesn't get covered on Day Beautiful and I do not finish it, but I do read way too much.
0: Well, we just talked a little bit about this before. You mentioned your website, but where can people find you? I wanted to make sure that they knew where to look for you.
1: Yeah, Day Beautiful is daybeautiful.net. Someone owns the .com, which blows my mind. And uh, so daybeautiful.net, I'm on social media, mostly Twitter and Instagram at Day Beautiful. And then if you're interested in hearing my rambling thoughts the the man behind a beautiful, it's my last name. So Vit Cavage on all social media.
0: Okay, good. That way people can find you. And I'll put all of that in the show notes as well.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah.
0: Well, is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have?
1: No, I think I rambled so much. And your, your audience is probably like, who is this guy? I can't believe he is a professional interviewer. I guess what I want people to know is my favorite food on the planet is ramen. And if you're ever in Denver to check out this restaurant called Uncle Ramen, it's the best ramen I've ever had on the planet. It has nothing to do with books, but I want everyone to know ramen is king. So when I come for Fall Con next year,
0: I'm going to make sure I check out Uncle Ramen.
1: Yes, yes. Great. (laughs) Yes, that is perfect. You and I are going to get a bunch of people from Fall Con. We're going to get in a van together and go have ramen together.
0: That sounds great. Well, before we wrap up, this is always my very favorite part. Is books that you recommend. They can be older ones, newer ones, whatever you want.
1: I, oh, this is good. I will do five books from the past five years of Day Beautiful, one for each year that I consider the ones I'm still thinking about. That's what I'll do. So All Night Pharmacy by Ruth Madievsky came out in 2023. I already mentioned it. Sexy, sultry, noir about siblings and drugs. My book of the year for 2022 was The School for Good Mothers by Jasmine Chan, which is. I'm going to use what other people called it, like 1984 mixed with Handmaid's Tale, a a great dystopian fiction about motherhood. 2021, I've already mentioned Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder, also about motherhood and um, the basic premises. The mom has a newborn and she thinks she's turning into a dog at night. 2020, Real Life by Brandon Taylor, which is about a a queer guy in college just hanging out, having vibes. And then my first book back in 2019. Uh, that I still think about is In West Mills by Deshaun Charles Winslow, which is like a southern secretive town with a really great main character. So if you want a character-driven story, In West Mills, I think not many people think about it anymore, but it was so good.
0: And he had a book come out in the last couple of years, right?
1: Yeah, he had like a sequel to In West Mills, uh, which uh, the name I am forgetting, I have not yet to read it, but it is on. I own it and it's on the top of my list to read.
0: I'm the same way. I have not yet read it, but I have a copy here somewhere and it sounds really good. I didn't realize it was a sequel. I haven't read the first one. So maybe this is useful. I can read the first one and then follow
1: it up with that one. I think it's a sequel in the sense that it touches, it's in the same town. It's a like a different story with similar characters and it's called Decent People. I just looked it it up. Yes, that's it. So in West Mills and Decent People, I think more people should read Deshaun Charles Winslow. He is a peach of a man, just a fabulous guy.
0: Okay, good. Well, Adam, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me.
1: Cindy, thank you so much. I want to say I love your interview style. And I don't know if this is going to make the podcast, but there's a lot of book podcasts out there. It's impossible to listen to them all. But your questions are so thoughtful and so succinct. And I really appreciated it. Uh, Compared to my rambling, you are a, a queen among podcasters.
0: Well, thank you very much for the kind words. And I don't feel like you ramble when I listen to you. I I love listening to other book podcasts, especially ones that resonate with me, because I feel like I learn and I'm like, oh, Adam asked that great question or what a good way to respond to something or whatever. So I, I don't feel like you ramble, but I do really enjoy your show.
1: Thank you. I think Day Beautiful, before I start recording, I tell every author we're, it's a super casual hang where if you we're just here for fun because... I, I mean, I'm sure you. when you interview debut authors compared to seasoned authors, it's like, it's stressful. It's probably their first or second interview. They have no clue how to talk about their book yet.
0: Absolutely. And I always tell them I have an editor yeah. and so they can redo their question. I mean, they can redo their answer anytime they want. And it's funny because some will. I even had one author, because I was her very first interview, who redid in, who every single question. And I was like, don't worry about it at all. Like, <sighs> we've that time, it's fine because it is stressful. Like, it's not stressful at this point because I do it all the time. But when I started out, I was really nervous. So I can understand being really nervous on the flip side of it, too.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you, Sydney, so much. This was super fun. I can't wait to listen to more of your episodes and discover more authors. And I love your behind the scenes interviews that were great. I'm forgetting the name, but the bookshop.org managing editor or like the business partner was a great listen.
0: Sarah, yes, because I, as, as I'm sure you are, having worked at indie bookstores, I am a huge indie bookstore proponent. So I'm always trying to make sure that I direct people that way. So thank you. And thanks again for joining me.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, Professional Book, Book Nerds. Nerds.
0: Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me at Thoughts From a Page. If you enjoy the show, please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts From a Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. I hope you'll tune in next time.